This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Hey, Saddleback family. As we prepare to jump into Andy's message today, we want to spend a moment of prayer together. But before we do that, I thought I could share with you a spiritual practice about prayer that Andy and I incorporate into our daily life. It's what I call pray first and pray last. And basically what it means is that I start every single morning with prayer and I finish the day that way as well. So practically what that looks like in my life is when I wake up very first thing, I'm only half awake, just laying there in bed. I just invite the Holy Spirit into that moment. And I say a very simple prayer, something like, Heavenly Father, thank you for this new day. I wanna welcome you into every aspect of this day. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance and I wanna live life with you. And then at the end of the day, after I'm exhausted and I fall into bed, I finish it also with prayer, but this prayer is a little bit different. It's more like a prayer of examine, where I kind of think back through the movements of my day. And when was it that I felt like I was really walking in alignment with the Holy Spirit? When was I abiding in Him? And then when were those other times that maybe I stepped right out from His will and I was distracted, maybe my attitude was off, I was angry or I mistreated someone. And I just wanna invite God into every single one of those moments. And I receive his love and his forgiveness, his grace. And I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to, to be with me and to live life with me. Now, the truth is I almost every single night fall asleep in somewhere in the middle of this process. But I don't feel guilty about that because what better way to fall asleep than talking to your heavenly father? And so Andy and I felt like this practice might be something easy to incorporate into your spiritual life in 2024, to pray first and to pray last. Because when we do that over time, it really begins to transform every moment in between as well. So as we prepare our hearts to hear from Andy's message, let's just spend a moment in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of this new year. And Lord, we want to welcome you into every aspect of our lives. We don't want to try to live life with our own wisdom or our own strength. And so as we launch into a new year together as a church family, we just say that you are our heart's desire and we want more of you in our life. Would you help us now to open up our hearts to what it is that you want to say to us through Andy's message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, Saddleback family. It's so good to be together with you this holiday weekend between Christmas and New Year's. And I have so much gratitude in my heart as we wrap up this year. You know, that song that we just sang about witnessing the faithfulness of God We've seen God's faithfulness in so many ways this year. We've seen lives changed. We've seen marriages healed. We've seen people saved by the grace of God. It's been a phenomenal year of ministry. And as we move from this year into the next, I have so much anticipation in my heart for what God is going to do. It's like we've been riding this spiritual wave of momentum for these last couple of months from our message series on worship to our series on the manger journeying towards the birth of Jesus, our Christmas services. God has been doing so many great things and he's got great things in store for us as we move into the new year. 
Now, whenever we wrap up a year, there's a lot of questions that we think about to prepare for the new year. Like there's a lot that goes through our minds. Sometimes you'll see marketing or books that are published or maybe even resources like make this your best year ever or four hacks to set the best goals for the new year. And all of those are really good things to think about and things to work on. And it's good to come into the new year with a fresh dream or a fresh vision for your life. Now, this weekend's message is going to be all about that. And it's going to tie together with next weekend. Uh, next weekend, as we launch into the new year, I have a special message called My Dream for 2024. And I'm going to be sharing what I believe is the dream that God is giving for our church next year. It's going to be a vision weekend. And we're going to talk about God's dream for you. But today what I want to do is I almost want to prepare for that. I want you to think about it in two parts. I want you to think about this week as a preparation for next week's message. And I want to give you a question to truly frame this next year. And this question is, what is God's vision for my life in 2024? I want that to sit in for just a minute. God has a vision for your life. You might want to write that down to think about it. What is God's vision for my life in 2024? God has a plan for you. God has a vision for you. Psalm 32, 8, verse 9, 8, 32, 8 and 9 says this. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Now, this verse has a lot of deep meaning for me personally. This was the verse that God really used in the journey of discerning God's call to come to Saddleback for both Stacy and me, that God has a pathway. He has a plan for our lives. But that second part is so important. It says, don't be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. And what the psalmist is saying is that sometimes in our journey spiritually, it's so hard for God to lead us because there's a stubbornness and we want to be in control of our lives. Yet God walks alongside of us like a good father, holding our hand, guiding our steps, and today, this message is about getting God's guidance and his vision for the new year. Perhaps as you think about a fresh vision for next year, and you ask the question, what is God's vision for my life next year? It might feel a little bit like it's hard to hear. It's hard to discern what it is that God has for you. And a lot of times when we go to God in prayer and we're asking God to speak, we're, we're not hearing him. And I want to begin our new year cleaning the slate and getting our hearts ready to hear from God. Now, I'd like to share with you a brief passage of scripture. It's a story found in the Old Testament, and it's a story that comes out of my daily time with God. And what I like to do in my daily time with God is I like to journey through the Bible. I like to uh, go through the whole Bible, reading through different passages. I, I usually, it takes me about a year and a half to get through the Bible in a year. And I've been in the book of Kings, first and second Kings for the last month or so. And in the book of Kings, you hear all these stories of kings, some of them that worship God and put him at the center of their lives, some of them that did it their own way. And it's story after story after story of God and his faithfulness intervening in the brokenness of humanity, showing his kindness and his love. And there was this season for the nation of Israel that was complete chaos. So I want you to imagine for just a moment, the Israelites have already had King David who worshiped God. They had already had Solomon who was this wise king that built out the kingdom. And then Solomon, as he passes the kingdom to his son, Rehoboam, Rehoboam disregards the advice of the elders, kind of does his own thing, and the kingdom gets split. 
So now Israel is in a civil war. And as this civil war continues, they're all, there's worship of all these false gods. And there's this one in particular. There's a king by the name of Ahab who's married to this evil woman by the name of Jezebel. And what they do in the nation of Israel is they put in place worship of a false god, the false god Baal. He was the god of storms and uh, a false god. And you see the nation of Israel really throwing themselves in worship to Baal as this idol. And when God decides he's going to right the ship for the nation of Israel, he picks a leader. And the leader that God chooses is a guy by the name of Jehu. So Jehu is going to become the next king for Israel. Elisha, the prophet, is in the office of prophet and he's preaching, he's performing miracles with God's help. And Elisha, under an inspiration from God, anoints Jehu as the next king. And I want to just read these verses. It's a fascinating story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, verse 4, it says, So the young prophet who was sent by Elisha went to Ramoth, Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together, and he said, I have a message for you, commander. For which of us? asked Jehu. Now at this point, Jehu doesn't know he's going to be the next king. And it says, Jehu got up and went into the house, and then the prophet poured oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anoint you king over the Lord's people Israel. You're to destroy the house of Ahab and the blood of the Lord's servants shed by Je Jezebel. So Jehu is given this assignment from God, like you're to go and to destroy idol worship in the nation of Israel. You're to eliminate Ahab's house and this wicked king uh, Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And now you're going to be the king that's going to rule with righteousness. You're going to pursue God with all your heart. So Jehu sets on a mission and God commissions him to make things right in the nation of Israel. Now, this guy was a warrior. In fact, uh, the person that was in as the king previously, when Jehu goes to his house to cleanse of, of all this idol worship, uh, Joram, who's the king at the time, comes out to Jehu and says, uh, have you come in peace, Jehu? And Jehu replies, how can there be peace as long as there's all this idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel around. So I want you to imagine this guy, he is a warrior. He's passionate about making things right. And he does asks him to do most of it. So I want you to see in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 26. Now I am like synthesizing three chapters of the Bible. It's worth going to read these three chapters. But in verse 26 of 2 Kings chapter 10, it says, They brought the sacred stone out of the temple of Baal and burned it. They demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal, and people have used it for a latrine to this day. So imagine like they, they take these prophets of Baal, their idols, and they use them as toilets. Like that's, it's almost like Jehu is just, you know, kind of, showing them that, that God is destroying all this idol worship and mocking them in the process. And so he's doing it. It says, so Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. However, verse 29, and I want you to hear this, however, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which had caused Israel to commit, which he had caused Israel to commit, the worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. 
Now, I want you to consider this for just a moment. So here's this guy, Jehu, super passionate about destroying the worship of Baal, the idolatry there. And yet when it comes to the worship of these two golden calves, he, he fails to go all the way with what God has asked him to do, to make God the one who's worshiped in Israel. And it's interesting because these two golden calves were actually, they were calves that the Israelites were worshiping. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole story of this all the way back to when the Israelites were in the desert. But these two golden calves in particular were established by the previous king who was worried, a guy by the name of Jeroboam, who was worried that if the Israelites went all the way to Jerusalem, he would lose his authority or his kingship. So this is idolatry from the Israelites, not from foreign gods or foreign nations. So here's what Jehu did. Jehu destroyed everybody else's idols, but didn't deal with his own. I want you to consider that for just a moment. Jehu was so passionate about destroying the idolatry that existed in other people's lives, but he didn't deal with his own issues. Now, I think we all could agree that there's a principle at play here. It's, it's so much easier to see everybody else's junk, like so much easier to see the things that people should change in their marriage, so much easier to see the attitudes in other people. But when it comes to our own lives, when it comes to our hearts, our minds, it's a lot harder to look internally on the inside with our lives, the things that are not right. Now, when Jesus would come, his ministry would range from come and see to come and die. And we've talked about this so much as a church that so often Jesus would turn up the heat in people's lives to call them to follow him wholeheartedly. And he gave this very challenging statement in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. He said, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that little speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Jesus says, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, I want to come back for just a moment, that original question that we talked about. What is God's vision for my life for 2024? Part of the reason why we often don't see God's vision is because we have logs in our eyes. Because when it comes to doing the thing that God wants us to do in the future, our eyes are blurred with what's in front of us right now, our brokenness, our sin in our lives right now. Now, right now I have contacts on, uh, but I often will wear glasses. And whenever I have glasses on, it's really easy for me to see like the smudges that get in my glasses. So I don't wear them very often because it feels like most of the day I'm cleaning my glasses and contacts are a whole lot easier. But every once in a while, I'll get a smudge in a contact. And before I realize I have a smudge in the contact, what I will do is I'll start thinking, oh, my eyesight's going bad. I can't see anymore. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm drifting. I, I need to go get my eyes checked out. And then I'll pull out that contact and realize either it's ripped or it's dirty. And because it's so close to my eye, I can't see it. So I don't see the smudge and the contact that is impacting my vision. And for a lot of us, there are things in our lives that are so close to our vision, so close to our lives that we can't see them. We can't, we can't see them to let them be removed from our lives. Now, I had a whole message with points and 
then I started thinking about the fact that you're watching this in your living room and some of you have kids running all over the place and I could give you a 45 to 50 minute message with fill in the blanks and uh, I'll do that next weekend. But for today, I wanted to make it a more brief message. I, want, I wanted to give you the opportunity to think about this principle that often when we get to a place in our lives when we can't hear from God, there's something that's, that's blocking our ability to hear. Now, if I were to say to you, are you dealing with the idols in your life? You, you'd probably think, well, I don't, I don't have any idols in my home. It's not like I have l- little statues that I'm worshiping. Maybe some of you do, but m- most would probably say, no, I don't, I don't have that. But just because you don't have an idol in your home, it doesn't mean that you don't have an idol in your heart. See, idolatry is when we let anything take place over God. When we start giving our attention, our adoration, our sacrifice to anything other than God, when something else other than God has first place in our life, that's idolatry. And what God wants to do, God wants to remove those idols so that he can be first place. And when he's first place, he can bless you fully. When he's first place, he can lead and guide your step. And this message is about getting God back in first place in our lives. This message is so important for us as a church family. You know, I am confident God has so many great things he wants to do through our church next year. But in connection with that is us personally getting right with God to clean the slate moving into the new year. See, a clearer vision comes from a cleaner life. And if I want clearer vision from God, I need a cleaner life. So I want to talk for just a moment. I want to give you just a few questions to process. And as you check in today, I'll have some notes with you. I'll actually have a way that you can get all these so that you can use them for a journal. But I want to encourage you just to let these questions sink into your heart. These are application reflection questions. You can get a more in-depth version of this when you check in just by clicking send me Andy's discussion guide and I'll send that to you. But first, I want you to think about this question. What have you been flirting with that when it's full grown has the power to destroy your life? You know, James says this in James 1, 14. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. What James is saying is that sin, oftentimes it starts small. Sometimes sin is socially acceptable, like it's socially acceptable in our culture to live together before you get married. It's socially acceptable to cheat, to steal, to lie. There's so many things in our culture that oftentimes just get winked at. But when it comes to God's standard, they're a sin, and that sin even though it might seem minuscule, over time it grows. And when it fully grows, it destroys us. It leads to death. The way the enemy works is that he'll put deception in our mind. He'll lead us to believe like Adam and Eve in the garden that sin is not so big, that we can flirt with it, that we can play with it. What he does is he grabs a foothold and then eventually that foothold becomes a stronghold. And what God wants to do is To start when it's small. The easiest time to deal with sin is when it's small. So what is the thing that you're flirting with right now? That God is saying, I want it out of your life. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 is a great prayer to pray. 
as you wrestle through this question. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, God. Show me what's on the inside. You might grab a journal today and just ask God, search me, show me. I did this. There were so many things that started popping into my mind, little little habits, little thought atti- heart attitudes and thoughts that if they keep growing will destroy my life. I, I wrote down some of them, things like, you know, I, I expect my wife to sacrifice more for our marriage than I expect myself to. Things like, I am way more of a pleaser than I ever thought. Coming to Saddleback has even shown me this internal tendency to want to please people that's in my heart still. There's so many little thoughts like that that I can bring them into the light by the grace of God and let God begin to change them. And I want to encourage you to process that question. Now, the second one is connected to it. And it's what's the thing you would change if you weren't concerned with the cost? Now, oftentimes, I think part of the reason why we stay stuck is because we're thinking about all the things that are required for change. Like if you're going to bring something into the light, there might be some relational implications. If you're going to confess something that you've been hiding, uh, that that means it might impact uh, some parts of your life, perhaps even your job. And maybe you're thinking through all of the cost of change rather than the cost of not changing. And I want to encourage you, what is the thing, if you can separate out the cost that even the time, the energy, the process that you might have to go through, if you can separate all that out to be able to say, what is the thing that you would change if you weren't thinking about the cost? Now, as you process that, it also is important to consider who God is and what God is like. Sometimes the reason people keep things in secret is because they have a wrong view of God. And what would change if you saw God as a helper? You know, when Jesus was about to go back to heaven, he talked about the Holy Spirit who would come, and the word that he used is helper to describe the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26 says, When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. What that means is that the Holy Spirit lives in us as we put our trust in Jesus. It's a He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance with God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you to lead you and guide you. God is faithful and just. He's holy, yet at the same time, he's gracious and kind. And scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says that Jesus is interceding on our behalf, that he's praying for us, that he, he lives to intercede on our behalf. He's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands all the things that we're going through. And when you bring your, your concern and your challenge to God, he's able to take care of it. God is for you. God, is, God cares deeply about you. And all of the boundaries that are in play in our lives are for our blessing. So God has these boundaries and commandments that he gives to our lives because he wills for good things for us. And he's in the process of forming and shaping us. He wants us to become more and more like Jesus. And if I see him as an advocate, as I see him as a helper, I'm willing to come to him to receive his help. I encourage you to think about that deeply, the character of God. And when we see that, we're willing to give our will, our lives over to him. The fourth question is the question, what is the cost of not changing? In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, it says this, but your iniquities have separated you from God. 
Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, this verse is spoken into a season where Israel is worshiping all these false gods. And these false gods are they're like little flies that are flying around my face right now. Um, they, they don't have power, but they can distract from what it is that God wants to do. And in Isaiah chapter 59, what you see is that the sin of the Israelites is preventing them from hearing God, being connected to God. It reminds me of a time, I think when I look back over the last few years of my life, one of the moments in my life where there was the most willful disobedience between me and God was there was a moment where I felt like God wanted me to give away my leather bag. Now, I had this really nice leather bag. It was actually made by a company called Saddleback Leather. And I would carry this bag around with me. And then I stopped using it. It was a, it was a bag that was really expensive. A bunch of family members had given me gifts to buy this bag. And there was one person in particular that I felt like God wanted me to give this bag to. It was the weirdest thing. It was like God told me, give it specifically to this person. The Holy Spirit would not release me from it. And I kept rationalizing. Every time I'd go to read my Bible, I'd think about this. And there was like a two-week period of time where I actually started using the bag again. And I was, I was like, oh God, I don't want to give away this bag. It's weird to give it away. And then there was a moment for me. It may seem so small, but it was a big moment for me personally when I had the thought, am I going to let a leather bag stand between me and God? Am I going to let this, this little small thing stand between me and hearing from God? You know, the motivation of wanting more of God in our life has to drive our desire to live a clean life. That the, the greatest consequence of sin is not even not being used by God. The greatest consequence of sin for those for, who are followers of Jesus is this kind of blockage in our life that we can't hear the voice of God. We don't feel connected to him. We're not sensing his presence in our lives. And as we begin this new year, I'm praying that God would put a fire inside of your heart to long for more of his presence, that whatever it is that stands between you and God, that that sin, that pleasure, that temptation would not be so great that you wouldn't be able or willing to get it out of your life. And today can be a decision before you move into the new year. There's some things that you need to leave behind in the last year. There's some things that you need to say, I'm not dragging them with me into next year. I'm going to let God purify and clean my life. And I'm going to bring this thing that is hidden into the light, big or small. I'm going to bring it forward so that I can move into 2024 with clear vision, a clean life that sets the pace or sets the stage for the clear vision that God wants to give to my life. And that leads me to the last question is what will you do with this message? If we hear the word of God and we don't do anything with it, we walk away. The book of James says it's like somebody who looks in a mirror, walks away, forgets exactly what they look like. And when God wants to change us, when things get brought into the life, he often uses a few things to clean up our life. Sometimes it will be a person that God will use, a safe person that you can find who will hold you accountable. Oftentimes it's a process or a spiritual habit that we walk through. You know, things like celebrate recovery involve a process of change. But one of the greatest processes of change that we can go through is a daily habit of reading the Bible. There's something about every time you open up the Bible and God speaks to you and you say, God, speak to me. Tell me what you want me to do with my life. It leads to transformation. 
It's one of the core habits that most transforms every aspect of our life. If you want to get out of sin, if you want to be free spiritually, reading the Bible is one of the greatest habits that you can put in place. And that's why I am so excited about our church together reading the New Testament. Uh, starting in just a few weeks, the third week of January, we're going to launch into a new message series called The Anchored Life. We're going to read through the whole New Testament together as a church over a, a, a period of eight weeks. It is going to be a, a profound transformative experience for our lives. And we're going to tell you more about that in the coming weeks. But I just want to encourage you, what's the process that God wants you to put in place? And reading the Bible is one of the greatest processes that you can put in place. Often there's a place you go, an environment that you go to. But as we conclude, I want to leave you with just a couple of verses that will encourage your heart. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, whoever conceals their sin they do not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them, they find mercy. There's mercy on the other end of confession. God is wanting us to bring into the light as we move into the new year, the things in our life that remain hidden. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That means is that God is holy, he's just, he's also merciful and kind. And because of the cross of Jesus, the sin, the brokenness in our lives is nailed to a cross. And when you put your trust in Jesus, you'll be met with his mercy. In fact, the book of James says that his mercy triumphs over judgment. It means that all the judgment, the weight of sin was placed on Jesus so that you can live in right relationship with God. So from the first time to surrendering to an ongoing journey, the confession of sin and coming to God, coming into the light is one of the most important things that we can do. You can do that in relationship. You can do that with process. You can do that in a place. But most importantly, you can do that right now in this moment just to come before God and confess your need to him. I want to invite you to do that as we pray together. Father, we recognize our need for you in our lives. As we move into this new year, we want to move into the new year with a clean slate. Thank you for how you forgive us from our past. Thank you for mercy and kindness that meets us. And Lord, I know that there's so many different things that remain hidden in so many lives today. And there's a kind of freedom that you're wanting to bring. There's a kind of joy that comes in turning to you, even as the book of Acts says, that we should turn from our sins so that seasons or moments of refreshing can come. And that's what we want coming into the new year. So I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. I pray for our church family that you would ready us for what it is that you want us to do in 2024 and that you would prepare our hearts, that you would help us right now to be right with you, to come before you, to confess. Right now in this moment, even as we're praying together, just tell God there's something you need to just Say to him in your heart that needs to come into the light. Just tell him. Ask for his mercy. And as you do that, he'll meet you there. Thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for how much you love us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. 
The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more weekend message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.